Welcome to Gestational Diabetes Club. I'm your host, Helena, dietitian, nutritionist, vegetable enthusiast, and big fan of strong coffee and dark chocolate. Join me here each week to chat about all things gestational diabetes. We'll cover everything you need to know about your nutrition, lifestyle, and all the messy bits in between so that you can feel empowered to optimize your blood sugar, grow a healthy baby, and create sustainable healthy habits to last a whole lifetime without the stress, overwhelm, guilt, or confusion. Thanks so much for joining me, and I hope you love it here. Hello, and welcome back to Gestational Diabetes Club. Now, I am very excited to share this episode with you. It is very special. You've been listening to my voice for a number of weeks, but this week we have a special guest. So I've actually interviewed one of my past clients because I know that quite a lot of you really want to hear on this podcast the stories of women who have had a pregnancy with GD and then also to hear about their birth too, because obviously that can be something that you can be quite apprehensive about, especially when there's a lot of conversations about inductions and things like that. So I'm really doing my best to bring to you more stories of real women who have been through it because I know that nothing helps more. Like you can know all of the information about GD and that can be really great and helpful, but nothing is as good as hearing from people who have actually been through it, lived through the same thing that you're going through now. It can make such a big difference in terms of reassuring you about what you're doing, giving you confidence and mentally preparing you for what might be to come around the corner. So I think that it's just so powerful being able to hear these stories. So Very excited to be bringing to you today the story of Kate, who was so generous in sharing not one, but two birth stories. We could have been talking for ages, so I decided to split it up into two episodes. And in this first episode, you will hear about her first pregnancy and birth, and she did have gestational diabetes in both pregnancies. So you'll hear all about her first experience with that today. And then in the second part, you'll hear about her second pregnancy, and that's where I actually crossed paths with Kate and we worked together during that time. So everything that Kate shared was really new to me as well. I hadn't heard any parts of this story. So, oh my gosh, my jaw was on the floor listening to her birth stories, especially. And I think you're going to get so much out of listening to this. So please sit back and enjoy. Welcome, Kate. I didn't really actually prepare how I was going to start off this interview, but Welcome. I'm so excited to have you on. And for everybody listening, Kate is one of my beautiful previous clients that I worked with when she had gestational diabetes in her second pregnancy. And she is now given birth and she has two beautiful little babies. And so today we are going to find out all about her pregnancy and birth and all of the challenges that she navigated and all of the things that helped her and just really wanted to be able to bring this experience to you because I know that there's quite a lot of you that are really keen to hear more birth stories and know what the experience is like with gestational diabetes and what to expect and especially around birth, what to expect. So I thought Kate was the perfect person to bring on to chat about this. So big welcome to you, Kate, and I'm so excited to have this conversation. So thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. It's so lovely to be able to talk about one of my favorite topics, which is pregnancy and birth. Yeah. (laughs) We were both actually just saying before we started recording that we both love listening to Australian Birth Stories, which is another phenomenal podcast. And so it's going to be really nice to be able to have this conversation and direct it more around gestational diabetes in particular, because we both also agreed that it's hard to find things that are really specifically about GD. So really excited for you all to be able to listen to this. But I guess we we don't have a, a huge structure to this. I just really wanted to hear about your story and we can start from right back at the beginning at your first pregnancy, which was before I knew you. So I don't know the answers to these questions either. So tell us a little bit about yourself. So I am 33 years old and my husband Ben is 32 and we live in Melbourne. I I'm on maternity leave at the moment, obviously, but I'm a primary school teacher here in Melbourne and I've been a teacher for, I think, about eight or nine years now and I I absolutely love it. It's such a great job. And my husband, Ben, is a digital designer. He uh, works for quite a big tech company and he uh, works on their website. And so he really enjoys that. I'm quite lucky that he is still working from home at the moment. So it's that extra support and 
extra help to have at home with two little babies. Absolutely. That does always help. And I guess my first question is, was your first pregnancy planned? Were you trying to start a family at that point? Yes, we definitely were. So I have been with my husband, Ben, for about 12 years now. And we got married in 2019. We were very lucky to be able to get married overseas before the pandemic hit. We went to Greece and got married. And when we come back, I obviously wanted to start a family straight away. And I was quite worried because I'd had some really irregular periods growing up and really, really painful periods. And I, I think that all women really stress about their fertility regardless of uh, their cycle or, or not knowing what's going to happen. And so I was a little bit stressed, uh, but I had been tracking my cycle for about seven years. So I was pretty in tune with my body and I knew when I was ovulating because I did get quite uh, bad ovulating pain. And I think that I probably would have wanted to have babies maybe five or six years ago, but uh, my husband and I, we wanted to get our careers a little bit uh, started before. So it got to 2020. We'd been married for about six or seven months and uh, we were very lucky to fall pregnant quite easily after a couple of months. And I think you're so excited to do your first pregnancy test and you're so excited to see if it's positive. But then when it does happen, uh, you just start freaking out and thinking, oh my goodness, like this is actually happening. And so I was, uh, I probably spent about $200 on pregnancy tests leading up to finding out that I was pregnant and I was testing way too early, which one of my biggest advice would be just don't do that. But I know I did it in my first and second pregnancy. And so we found out and that was in January and it was before we knew the pandemic was coming. So I think we had uh, about eight weeks before the pandemic hit to um, have like a really great first trimester together. And then obviously the, the pandemic hit and that's a little bit where everything started to change. How did all of that feel? So uh, I think I hit about 12 weeks pregnant and I was really lucky that I didn't have a lot of morning sickness in that first 12 weeks. I know it can be so horrific for a lot of people and also working at a primary school, uh, it's quite a female dominated area. Uh, I was one of about seven that was pregnant in quite a small wow. star. So there was a lot of us and not that we all knew at that stage that we're all pregnant, but a lot of them had really horrific morning sickness and my heart just goes out to anyone that experiences that. I was quite lucky. And so I think we hit about 12 weeks and that's that was in March and that was when uh, the first lockdown happened in Melbourne. And so everything went uh, to working from home for everybody. Mm -hmm. And obviously, if you live in Melbourne, you know how long our lockdown did go for. But if you didn't, we, we had, I think, the, sh the strictest one in the world. Um, and so I kind of felt like I was so excited to be pregnant, but then we couldn't really share it with anybody or go out or do anything. And so we were kind of just stuck at home and it just was maybe like a little bit of an afterthought that everything else was a lot more important than what was happening with the pregnancy. Yeah, that's so true, especially if it was right at the start when it was just all anybody was talking about. It was just constantly in the news. Not that you could even talk about much with anybody because we were so isolated. So that must have been really tough. Um, I suppose like I've heard from other people that it was a blessing and a curse for some some people that might have been experiencing more symptoms where they could just hide away a little bit. But for you, not so much, maybe if you're feeling good and you wanted to be able to be around other people, things like that. And especially in terms of your appointments and whatnot. Um, tell us about like the care system that you went through. Were you in a public system or the private system and did it impact whether or not you were able to have your appointments as scheduled or did they need to all transition online? So I did go through the public system here in Melbourne and I gave birth both times at Joan Curter Hospital, which is in Sunshine. And I really didn't have a preference of going public or private, but I think that we are so lucky here to have such a great public system. Mm -hmm. And I have a, I have an older sister who's had a couple of children and a couple of um, sister-in-laws that have had children and they all went through the public system and, and were quite happy. 
And I had heard about something called the Midwife Care Program and I didn't know much about it. So I researched a little bit into it and found out that it was something that my hospital offered, but you have to get in quite early. And so I think I was about six or seven weeks pregnant when I just reached out to my hospital to ask about the program and I was put on a wait list. And I was really lucky to get a phone call a couple of weeks later to ask if I'd like to be part of the program. And I I felt a little bit like I'd won the lottery because it's such a, a great program to be part of. So basically you become part of a a small team of maybe five or six midwives and you have your primary midwife carer who you will go to all of your appointments with and they you also have a backup midwife in case your uh, primary midwife isn't available and we got to see the same midwife for the entire pregnancy and also had our backup midwife just in case and she was incredible and I, I felt like I sort of had private care but under the public system. And so my advice is if you're interested in having maybe a holistic birth, that would be something that you could look into yourself. Uh, The stipulations were that you would hope to have an intervention-free birth and that you're happy to be under the care of the same midwife and that you were happy to leave the hospital uh, within four to eight hours after the birth if everything did go okay. And they were three things that my husband and I spoke about and we were happy with. And so all in all, I was very, very happy with the public system. Amazing. Yeah, I've heard that that is a really amazing program when you can have that continuity of care when you are seeing the same midwife. And did it all work out for you where you actually did get to see that one midwife or the backup midwife throughout or was there? So some- I, I did. I actually... I saw one midwife for about five weeks and then um, unfortunately for me, but fortunately for her, she did go to a different hospital um, in rural Victoria because of COVID. They needed some extra midwives up there. And I was so devastated at that time because we'd built such a lovely bond. But then I met my new midwife, whose name was Alex, and she was just so incredible. And I kind of felt like maybe it was meant to be that we had been put together. Uh, So Alex... I saw her for most of the appointments and my backup midwife was Eve. And it turns out uh, that on the day I did get Eve, who was my backup midwife. But once I tell you my birth story, you'll just, I just can't fault both of them. They were just absolutely incredible. I, I can't talk highly enough of any midwife that I meet. They've, they've just been so incredible. Oh, that's so good to hear that you felt so supported throughout. Like it can be such a difficult time, you know. So I'm so happy to hear that that was all a really positive experience for you. And I can't wait till we get to the birth. But before that, there must have been some more things that came up that we need to cover. So I know just from speaking with you outside of this conversation that you had gestational diabetes in both of your pregnancies. So when was that diagnosed for you in your first pregnancy? So I actually have a sister who is nine years older than me and she had gestational diabetes in uh, two out of three of her pregnancies. And it, after she gave birth to her third son, uh, she actually found out that she was a type one diabetic. So we've always had diabetes in our family and I knew quite a lot about gestational diabetes just uh, through her mm-hmm. and also about type one diabetes as well. And so because I had a little bit of uh, an extra risk of having gestational diabetes, I got tested uh, in my first pregnancy around 14 weeks Mm -hmm. and that came back as um, a negative result within the first couple of days. So I really thought that would be it. But then my doctor suggested that maybe I just do it again around uh, around 28 weeks and I really thought that I would be in the clear. I I thought I had no other risk factors. I, I thought, you know, I lead quite a healthy lifestyle. Um, I eat quite well. And obviously now after having just social diabetes, I know that that really has nothing to do with it and it, it can just be luck of the draw. And so I had the test again and I was at work and it was actually my birthday. Oh. It, was, it was in July. Uh, it was one of those one weeks that we had in between lockdowns. We were all back at work and I got the phone call and out. 
I was so shocked when I got it and the lady just said, oh, you know, you've got gestational diabetes. And I was just thinking, what are you talking about? No, I don't. Oh my gosh. And she said, got to come in next week for your education um, and then we'll go from there. And I just remember hanging up and I just burst into tears instantly. And I think if I didn't already have a sister that had type 1 diabetes, then I, I wouldn't have been so worried. And I actually do work with my sister. And I went straight to her. And I said, you know, I've got uh, gestational diabetes. And then she started crying because she knew what she had gone through. And she was so worried if it had, if it was eventually going to turn into type one. But from what I do know now, I know that it's such a shock when you do get diagnosed. But I wish I could just go back to myself and say, everything's going to be okay. But I think you do have to let all the emotions out because I know in my second pregnancy, I did exactly the same thing when I got diagnosed. So I think if it does happen to you, just let, yourself feel all of the emotions and it's okay to feel how you feel. I felt like a failure. I felt like this was going to just ruin my entire pregnancy or my entire hopes for my birth, but like it it didn't so that everything would be okay. Oh, there's such big feelings though. I can't even imagine, you know, having not been pregnant or had a baby myself, like, you know, I think it's one of those things where you can know everything about it. You can know all of the details, but it probably still just doesn't prepare you for having that diagnosis. And we all, I suppose, like have that expectation around a lot of things where we think, yeah, it happens to other people and it's okay for them. Like doesn't mean anything about them. But then when it does happen to us, it feels completely different. And we're just really struck with that. I suppose almost grief is maybe what you were mm. describing as well, like of maybe feeling like your pregnancy wasn't going to be what what you were hoping for and that you had a loss in a sense around that. Um, and that, that just must have felt really, really, really tough, especially for the first little while whilst you're getting your head around things too. Because again, like I said, you could know everything, but it still is very different once it's actually happening to you. Um, and maybe for anybody listening who hasn't been through the process of being diagnosed, do you want to just touch on quickly like what the testing was like and then um, who gave you your results? Like did you find out immediately? Like was there a gap? And then when did you have your first appointment? I think that would be really helpful to tell to people. Absolutely. So you go and get your GTT testing done at, uh, at any place that you can get a blood test done and you have to drink a lot of people do say it's an awful, awful drink to have to drink when you're pregnant, but I think it wasn't as bad for me because I, I didn't have the nausea, but it, I know it can be quite horrible for other people. So you have your initial fasting blood test when you get there, and then you have to drink the very sugary liquid. And then after that, you'll have a blood test one hour after and then two hours after, and they're testing to see, I'm sure you can explain it a little bit better than me, Helena, but uh, what, how your body is going with the stress of, of so much sugar. And so I got the test done and you then are hoping to not get a phone call because if you don't get a phone call, then you don't have it. But if you do get a phone call, then you most likely do have it. But you're kind of in a limbo because you're waiting to get this phone call. And then if you don't get it, you're thinking, am I in the clear or is it still going to come? Um, and I don't think I got a phone call for maybe another week and a half. So I really did think that I was in the clear. And so I just got a call uh, from, I'm I'm assuming just someone at the reception of the hospital. And I know um, in the public system how busy they are and how how stressful it can be to work in that situation. But And maybe we have to sort of manage our emotions a little bit better, but it was quite an abrupt phone call of, yes, you have it and your education uh, will be next week. And I, I thought maybe they would say to me, no, it's okay, but it's not their job to do that. And so I found out and then I had my education at the hospital about two or three days later and being COVID, uh, I was the only person in the room and it was only maybe a 30 minute session when I think it usually goes for about two hours. And so I kind of felt like I was thrown in the deep end and didn't really know what to do or where to go from finding out that I did have it. Yeah, that makes sense. And that was a great explanation. I think you explained that really well. And just Thank for you. anybody listening, GTT, that stands for glucose tolerance test, in case you are confused about that term. 
But no, that was a really good explanation. And it's interesting to hear some of the ins and outs of like how you actually did get told. And it wasn't particularly compassionate, I guess, like you said, but in some ways, maybe a positive that you were in the room by yourself with the educator, because then you could ask all the questions, I guess. But I mean, it's silver linings to a terrible situation where you must have felt really alone. Um, And then from there, talk me through how you handled gestational diabetes in general. Like, was that the only education that you got or did you get linked in to see a dietitian um, or did you see an endocrinologist? Like, did you have people on your team and did you get much education around it? So in my first pregnancy, that was the only education that I did get. And although it was only two years ago, I feel like with social media now, a lot has changed and there is a lot more information out there that there probably wasn't, that I probably couldn't seek out two years ago. And I kind of felt like I was doing it alone. And I didn't, besides having my sister, I didn't really have anybody else around that I knew that had diabetes or gestational diabetes that I could chat to. And I think that maybe I went a little bit too hard into the diet for, I got diagnosed when I was 28 weeks. And I think maybe I was eating too little for the Mm. first uh, four or five weeks because I, I had no idea what I was doing. I just thought um, if I eat super, super healthy, then I should be okay. And I was pulling really, really great numbers, but I just had so much anxiety about having a high fast or having um, a high number that I just tried to eat as best as I could, but maybe it was a little bit too hard on me. Yeah, a bit too restrictive. And that's actually something that I see commonly and I, hate to say, but I think is making its its way around social media even still now a little bit more about there being a bit of fear-mongering around having any uh, elevations in blood sugar. And so just for everybody, I want to allay any fears around having your blood sugar go up and down. It's very normal that, you know, we obviously don't want to get a spike in blood sugar, but it is normal for your blood sugar to go up after eating. And so don't want you to be afraid of eating any food. Like you still need to be eating adequately to nourish yourself and to nourish your baby because there's two risks there, right? Like we've got the risk of high blood sugar, but we've also got the risk of undernutrition. So it's so important to be getting in an adequate amount of um, food really to be able to support you both. But that must have been um, that must have been such a hard mindset to be in and just to be not sure what you're doing and just not enjoying food or pregnancy it sounds like yeah it really was and I think the biggest fear that I had was to be part of the midwife care program you had to have an uncomplicated pregnancy and uh, being diagnosed with uh, GD did mean that there was complications in my pregnancy and I I just had it that I needed to stay off medication to be able to stay in the program and I was told that I would to be able to stay with my midwife that I needed to be off medication. So I wasn't allowed to uh, have insulin or to have uh, the metformin. And so I think that maybe that put on, that put such a pressure on me to stay off medication that I never indulged in any, uh, I want to say the word bad food, but I know that there's no good food and no bad food, but uh, it, it made it a, a lot harder. Yeah, it absolutely would. So did you manage to stay off um, medication throughout the pregnancy? I did. I managed to stay off medication. And in saying that, I don't want anyone to feel like if you do have to go on medication, that it's a bad thing. To Insulin has saved my sister's life. And I know that it's the most incredible medication that we do have out there. Thank goodness that it is invented. And I even know, speaking with you, Helena, for my second pregnancy, I was so scared of insulin and in hindsight, if I did have to go on it, I know that everything would have been fine in the end, but there is such a fear of going on insulin when you do have gestational diabetes. Yeah, really, really well said. And there's such a big stigma around it as well. And it just doesn't need to be there. Like you said, it's a life-saving medication that we're so fortunate to have access to, to have the technology and the access to things like that. Um, And yes, it might change your care stream slightly, but 
Most of the time, once people get over the initial fear of the needles and things like that, it can be such a massive stress relief and mean that you can actually eat enough to make sure that you're getting the right nutrition too. So keep that in mind. Like there's nothing wrong with needing insulin. And I know that a lot of people go in with the best intentions of staying diet controlled, but it's not realistic for everybody. So don't compare yourself to anybody else. But amazing for you if that did mean that you got to stay within the midwife program and got to have that consistent care which sounds like you were really um you really valued so that's amazing um did you have any other complications during your pregnancy i did have uh, a lot of rib pain in this pregnancy that i just could not get under control and it happened from about 14 weeks and I know a lot of people were saying to me oh the baby must be kicking your ribs and I thought it can't be because the baby was still maybe the size of a lemon or something at this stage so it really couldn't have been and it made it so hard uh, being sorry that I do keep going back to lockdown but being in lockdown that uh, I couldn't go and easily get the care that I needed so I had um, just chronic rib pain on my right side for the entire pregnancy from about 14 weeks and until I did give birth. And so I found that quite hard. But again, being in lockdown, we didn't have uh, as much on that we normally did. So I think that I was so lucky to be able to, to stay active. We have a dog at home and I think he was getting two or three walks a day and I was able to uh, keep up with yoga on YouTube and um, I ended up finding a fantastic osteo that I could see weekly and, and that helped so much. But uh, other than the rib pain and obviously having GD, I, I've really had such a, a great pregnancy. That's fab. Um, and it probably also really helped your blood sugar levels if you were able to stay nice and active as well to, yes. yeah, to help reduce those. And did you make any other particular lifestyle changes or any other changes aside from your diet to help with your sugar levels? Uh, with my first pregnancy, I think because my sugar levels everything that I was doing seemed to work quite well that I didn't have to make too much of uh, many other changes besides changing my diet. I haven't uh, mentioned yet that I I do eat a vegetarian diet Mm -hmm. and that's probably one of the things that I found the hardest with with gestational diabetes is that I really had no idea about food. I think I was just eating food and I was never thinking, what is a protein? What is a carb? How many do I, how much do I need within my diet? And it just became, I had no idea what to eat. And so once I sort of figured that out a little bit with Google, uh, that made it a little bit easier. And I was able to have like quite good levels in my first pregnancy that there wasn't much that I needed to change. If I was walking a lot and eating well, then my levels were okay. Amazing. Um, but yeah, no, I think that's common not to really overthink your diet too much before something like this happens and then to be suddenly thrown in the deep end of like, oh my goodness, I have to figure all of this out. I'm conscious that we should talk about both of your pregnancies because you did experience GD in both of them, but maybe let's just talk through what happened in your birth for this first pregnancy mm-hmm. and then we can compare the two. So so once you've, you know, you've dealt with your gestational diabetes and everything and we're, we're up to giving birth. So what was all of that like? What was the process? So I finished work at about 36 weeks, which was quite easy to do because we we're working from home. And so I also had a lot of spare time uh, at home where I could just do so, so much research into birth and, and really start thinking about the type of birth that I hoped for. I can say that I wanted, but obviously birth cannot go to plan. And so I was really hoping for an unmedicated intervention-free birth if that was to happen, but I obviously had to be open to maybe being induced or maybe uh, a cesarean if if that was to happen. But I was just really, really hoping for an intervention-free birth. And so I got to about 37 weeks and I really thought that I was uh, going to make it to my due date, which was in October. and. I woke up in the middle of the night. It was about midnight in when I had just, I was about 37 and a half weeks and I got up to go to the toilet for maybe the eighth time already that night. And 
I got back into bed and straight away I thought, I have to get up to go to the toilet again. So I got up to go again, went back to bed. And once I laid down, I thought, I'm starting to get a little bit of, of pain, but it's not too bad. And I had had no uh, previous cramps or any signs that anything was going to happen. So I went to bed that night thinking, you know, this won't be the night. And so then I thought, no, this pain's getting pretty bad. I, I better get up. So I got up and it was probably about 1 a.m. Then I let my husband sleep and I went and I went into our lounge room, turned the heater on and thought, oh, this, this pain is quite bad. I, I, I wonder if this might be something. And I remember just really wanting to get in the shower. But of course, that day we had broken our hot water system. And so I put it in the shower. Yes. And that's the thing that I just, I just wanted the most. I'd also planned to have a water burst, but uh, with COVID, the water burst wasn't happening at the hospital that I was at. And so I remember waking my husband up and I was in quite a lot of pain and it had only been an hour. And I thought, my goodness, Kate, you are a wimp. This is only one hour in and you've probably got this whole day of birth to come. And I woke him up and I was like, you, you just need to fix it. I just need you to fix the, the pilot light. And so the poor thing had to drive to 7-Eleven at midnight to try and find a, a lighter to, to light this hot water system. <laughs> and, and he came home and I just thought, oh, I don't think I'm going to be able to feed in the shower. This is, this is ramping up. So I put the TENS machine on and I can't recommend a TENS machine more if, if you're uh, pregnant at the moment. They are just incredible. I hired mine through a company called Mama and I Co. And they just give you something else to think about while you're contracting mm. or they, they really do help with the pain. And so I said to Ben, you probably should ring the hospital. And so he rang. And they said, oh, she sounds okay. You know, she's only been in labor for about an hour. She's got a long time to go. Maybe give us a call back soon. And so I think I waited and maybe another 45 minutes and I just thought, I can't do this. This is awful. And I was starting to think about that intervention free birth that I wanted. And I was thinking, oh my goodness, I don't think I can do that. This is, this is way worse than I thought it would be. And it's only been two hours in. And so uh, Ben rang my midwife and she said, you know what, get in, get in the car and let's go. Like, I think you should probably get to the hospital now. And so we went to leave. This was about maybe three in the morning by now. Yeah. And walking to the car was only maybe a 10-meter walk and I was contracting every two minutes. And I thought, my goodness, this is just the first full part on. of labor. Yes, and this is getting so but full on. And I had to stop and put my hands up against the fence to have a contraction. And I just remember seeing two big huntsman spiders on the fence. And I am absolutely <laughs> terrified of spiders. <laughs> and I was just staring at them, contracting and thinking, what are you doing here? Oh, my gosh. Oh. And so we got in the car and we have maybe a 25-minute drive to the hospital. And thank goodness it was um, in the middle of the night. So there was no yeah. traffic. And this is where... It ramped up and I was getting, it was getting a little bit out of control in the car and I was sitting in the back and I had to put my head out the window to try and have a contraction and maybe scream. And I just feel so sorry for my poor husband in this situation because <laughs> he had no idea what to do. And when we got to the hospital, I tried to walk and there was no way I could walk. And so he got me a wheelchair and we went up. And I actually have a friend who's a midwife and, and she saw me and she said to the other midwives, don't take her to um, get assessed, take her straight to the birthing suite. She's ready. And so I, I got in there and my lovely midwife Eve had arrived and they said, Kate, you're 10 centimeters. You're ready to push. Wow. Okay. Wow. So, How sudden. Yes. That very early labor that I was feeling was actually not quite early labor. I was probably, um, had early labor when I was sleeping, which is so lucky. And when I got to the hospital, uh, I was uh, already 10 centimeters, 10 centimeters. So if I did want to have uh, an epidural or anything like that, it would have been too late yeah. anyway. Wow. So it ramped up quite quickly. That is phenomenal. So after I got into the birthing suite, I got onto the bed, which is wasn't really in my birth plan, but 
I had kind of not lost control of the situation, but I was finding it really hard to get back into that state of being in control. And I think that I, because everything was happening so quickly, I never really had a moment to think, oh my goodness, you're actually giving birth right now. You're, you're in, you're in labor. And so I got onto the bed and they were asking me if I felt like I needed to push. And then my lovely midwife came in and said, no, she really wants to um, be in the shower. So I managed to hop off the bed and get into the shower. And it was once I was in there that I just felt so much calmer and I could really take a moment and think, oh, this is happening. I'm, I'm about to meet my baby soon. And I had done a hypnobirthing course uh, leading up to the birth and I was really trying to think about all the things that I'd learned about my breath and visualising what was happening and it was very, very hard to do that but mm. it definitely helped if that's something that people are interested in. I definitely recommend a hypnobirthing course and giving birth in the shower is a really wonderful experience too if that's something that people are interested in. And so I was in the shower and I had my husband next to me and my midwife on the other side and it felt just so lovely that we were the only three people in there. There was no other doctors, no other midwives and I really trusted everything that she was telling me to do and I could relax in between every contraction. I was uh, over a medicine ball and I just felt so relaxed in the shower. It was just an incredible experience. And I felt like that I had no pain in between the contractions as well. And then once they were happening, it was good because I knew that they were working and that the baby was going to come out soon. We hadn't found out the gender either. And I just really wanted to know who this baby was. And I think I was in the shower for about 15 minutes. And the pushing stage is obviously the hardest, but I think it's the best as well because you know that the baby is coming soon. And so I pushed for about 15 minutes and a little baby came out and I got to put the baby on my chest and I just can't even describe that feeling. I just feel like everything that women go through in their pregnancy, regardless of how hard your pregnancy is, everything truly feels worth it. And in that time, once that baby gets put on your chest and there's nothing else that's happening around you. All you're thinking about is that beautiful little baby that's on your chest. Uh, And so the baby was on me and my midwife said, why don't you check what you had? And so I lifted the baby up and my husband said, it's a boy. And Mm -hmm. he actually said, "Uh, it's Harry, because we knew uh, what we were going to name the baby if it was a boy. And I truly thought I was having a girl this entire time. So I was just so shocked that a little boy came out and straight away I could uh, get up, walk to the bed and uh, put him on my chest in the, in the bed. And I just felt like all the pain had gone then. And obviously I was having a, a, a high and all the pain had gone and it was just the most incredible experience. Oh my God. Gosh, that's amazing. I I feel like I'm a bit speechless. That's incredible for your first birth and to just be like as you wanted, you were completely intervention free. And did you have anything like even pain medication or anything on board once you were at the hospital? No, I did take no. two Panadol when I was at home thinking that that might do something, but obviously it did nothing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, after the birth, I did have um, a bit of tearing. It was only a level one tear, so it was nothing too bad, but I did get some stitches. And so I had the gas after that. Um, I didn't really like the gas. I found it just made me feel a little bit sick, but I know a lot of women do get a lot of pain relief from the gas. Uh But other than that, no intervention at all, which I'm just so thankful for. Wow. What a great experience. And obviously, like you hadn't found out the gender. And so that must have been such a special moment. And to already have your name, that's ideal. Um, And then what was it like afterwards, I guess? Like, did you need to stay in hospital for very long? Like, what was your process then? I know you said earlier that part of your policy was that you needed to be in and out really after you'd given birth. So is that what it was like for you? I think everybody finds it crazy that we did leave the hospital after about four or five hours. 
which I even find it's pretty crazy myself, but being locked down and being COVID, Ben wouldn't have been able to stay very long either. So I would have had to be by myself. And I was just so incredibly lucky that uh, my mum was able to stay with us uh, for a month after we gave birth. Mm -hmm. And so I knew that I would be going home to the support of Ben and my mum. And so we were really, really lucky to spend a couple of hours in the birthing suite with myself, Ben and Harry. And it's just such a beautiful experience because the midwife is just doing all the paperwork and you really have that just that time to yourself to get to know who your baby is and they helped me with breastfeeding I really wanted to breastfeed the baby and I knew that if possible the first couple of hours was really important to try and get the baby onto the breast so I was really lucky that that happened and everything went well and he was such a small little boy considering he was born quite at 37 weeks mm-hmm. he could have been smaller but he was uh, right on three kilos mm-hmm. and which I think in the old system is about 6.8 pound mm. uh, and we were so lucky because he was just perfect and I was mm. so nervous about the blood sugars being tested yeah. for the baby afterwards um, I will say if you aren't medicated they sort of treat the mother as an uncomplicated pregnancy but they do check your blood sugar they didn't yeah. check mine in labor but they did check it afterwards and everything was fine and I was so lucky that Harry his first second and third blood sugars were all fine otherwise we would have stayed at the hospital for longer yeah that's great that's great so they were checking and then everything was all clear so that's yes that's amazing and I suppose just back on the process of like going into birth, I know you said you'd done a hypnobirthing course, but had you had, had you done any other preparation around your birth? And like you, you said you wanted to have a water birth and things like that. So had you been having open discussions with your care team about all of that? I think um, a lot of women sort of have the idea of like the less information, you know, might be better, but I sort of have the opposite opinion. And I maybe researched a little bit too much, but I kept trying to have it in my head. You can plan for the type of birth you want, but it might always not go to that plan. I mean, Mm. I didn't plan to have a five-hour birth, but it did go like that. Uh, But I was, I did the hypnobirthing course that was um, via Zoom. That was really, really incredible. And I also read a lot of books. One of them was called Birthing with Confidence. That was really, really incredible. And I probably listened to over 100 episodes of Australian Birth Podcast. And I kind of felt like that was the best education I had because I could hear about every different type of birth and most of them were told in like quite a positive way. And it just showed you that regardless of whatever birth you have, every birth is special. Yeah, that's so true because it's it's absolutely... You're right, like every birth is so special and every time a baby comes out and they're alive and they're breathing, like it's a, it's really special, isn't it? Yes. Um, and I'm just so happy that it all went so well for you. And then did you have a relatively smooth recovery? You said you were up and showering and all of that straight away. So then once you get, got home, was it, um, yeah, were you quite well? I was. I was really, really lucky to have uh a good recovery because I did have the stitches. They probably hurt for maybe one or two weeks afterwards. Uh, and everything obviously does hurt once the high that you're on after giving yeah. birth calms down. Um, and it's just such a weird frame of mind that you're in, especially for those, those first couple of days, because you're just so incredibly tired. And I had done so much research on birth and then I felt like I came home and I was like oh my goodness I've now got this little baby to care for Mm. and the birth is over and so I thought oh I haven't done very much research about the the next stage of looking Mm. after yourself and looking after the baby in the the fourth trimester Uh, but having so much support at home and I know that lots of people don't have the support that I did and I'm just so grateful that i got to really enjoy that first couple of weeks with Harry at home and I know you said before about lots of people saying looking at COVID now in hindsight or looking at lockdown was such a blessing and it truly 
It truly was because we didn't have any visitors for quite a long time, which I know for a lot of people that that was a negative thing, but we were so lucky that we could just really focus on ourselves and the baby and I didn't have to worry about having a clean house and I could just breastfeed uh, openly anytime I wanted and I didn't have to worry about anybody coming over. Yeah, and yeah, so I yeah. Think that's so helpful. It really would have made a difference, I think, so you can just reduce that overwhelm and some of that exhaustion that's not not so present. And it sounds like breastfeeding also went okay for you. You're obviously planning to breastfeed. And then was that a smooth process? I felt like I probably didn't do enough research on breastfeeding. I focused so much of it on birth. And it was really good for the first couple of days. And then the pain of breastfeeding did sort of kick in. And I know a lot of people say that if you have pain, then you're probably doing it wrong. But so many people that I spoke to just also said, no, you know, you've never had Mm. this experience before and there's going to be a little bit of pain at the start. And so I remember having to, every time Harry did latch on, uh, having to curl my toes and count to 10 or 15 seconds for that initial latch, that probably started to ease off about three weeks and after that everything was pretty smooth sailing for a while we managed to breastfeed for about nine months uh, and then after that Harry started to wean and we we had to move on to formula after that but I just feel so lucky that I got to do it for that long. Oh, absolutely. And that's that's so nice that it wasn't too challenging. Like it's it sucks that it was quite painful at the start, but then that that did resolve and then it was um, quite a nice process. So that's that's great to hear. And I also just want to say if you are unable to breastfeed or you choose not to breastfeed, then everybody is entitled to their own decisions around that. So again, I don't want there to be any stigma around whether you do or you don't breastfeed. Like there's no right or wrong. Everybody has completely different reasons for what they do. So keep that in mind. Um, And now I guess I want to change tack a little bit and talk through your second pregnancy. And I know we've been talking for quite a long time, so this might need to be split into two episodes. Hello, it is now me from the future. And I have in fact split this episode up into two parts because otherwise it just would have been very long. So I am really sorry to leave you on the cliffhanger of what happened in Kate's next pregnancy and birth, because I mean, if you're like me and you were listening to her story just now, your jaw was probably on the floor. I think it was just incredible. Like, wow, what a woman. Um, And I'm sure you want to hear what happened next. So stay tuned. I will be dropping that same time next week. Again, I'm sorry to make you wait, but it is worth the wait. Trust me, it was, I mean, we could have just spoken for such a long time, but we did have to draw the line somewhere. And I just thought the best decision is probably to split the episode up so that you can, you know, don't have to pay attention for too long and you've got something to look forward to next week. And in the next episode, actually, I also wanted to mention that we do talk a little bit more about gestational diabetes. And I was actually working quite closely with Kate over a number of weeks to help her manage her blood sugar levels. And she really wanted to stay off medication as well. So you can hear all about that and what her mindset around things was at the time. She was actually diagnosed quite a lot earlier in her pregnancy the second time around. So it was quite a different experience for her. So it's a really good one to listen to. And she also shared some really valuable insights and tips for you. Now, the other thing that I did want to mention is that I have some space available in my coaching program and for one-on-one consults. So I wanted to explain a little bit about what goes on when I'm working one-on-one closely with people. So in a coaching space, and that is my preferred way of working And what I do is I'll see you over a number of weeks, usually six weeks at a minimum. We'll have weekly check-ins, so weekly calls over Zoom where we can talk through all sorts of things about your lifestyle. So it's quite holistic in terms of talking about what's going on in terms of your food, your energy levels, your physical activity, your sleep, your stress, things like that. I provide a meal plan that is really based off what you actually enjoy eating and what you currently eat and what would fit in with your lifestyle. So don't just randomly pull meals out of thin air. I make sure it's really tailored to you and also your nutritional requirements and with your carbohydrates and other macronutrients distributed across the day in a way to optimize your blood sugar as well. Um, And then I also 
provide daily check-ins, which is so valuable because you can use that so practically in terms of things like, okay, you're ordering from a menu and you don't know what to choose or you need to make something or you're just having one of those days where you just feel really blah and you don't know what's going on with your blood sugar or you've had a high reading and you don't know what you should be doing next. I help with all of those things just on the fly. So I find that's one of the best parts of this coaching program. But if you feel like you don't need that really high touch level of support, then I also do offer initial consultations at a cheaper price point. I have to say, I don't feel like I get quite the same outcomes with that because it's, you know, it's obviously a different service. I'm not working closely with you, but it is great for somebody who feels like you might have everything pretty much sorted, but you want some reassurance. You just want somebody to go over what you're doing with a really fine tooth comb, give you an analysis of where I can see any gaps or rooms for improvement, or if you've just got one or two little issues or problems or questions or worries, and you just really need somebody to help point you in the right direction to be able to meet your goals. So both of those options are available. They're both great for different people. And what I do recommend you do is book in a free 15 minute call with me. And then I can find out about your situation, what's going on for you. And then we can look at what would be the best way that I can support you to get the goals that you want. And keep in mind that when you're getting support, it's not a failure. It doesn't mean that you weren't trying hard enough to manage your blood sugar levels. And it also isn't just about your blood sugar. Like when you're getting this level of support, it also just helps alleviate your stress so much and gives you so much more confidence in what you're eating. So if you think about that further, it means that you can be more present in your relationships. You can actually go out and enjoy being around other people instead of constantly thinking in your head about what your blood sugar is doing. You can go out to eat because you know that what you're going to be ordering is going to work for you. You can concentrate better at work because again, you're not just totally running through food options in your head and you don't have all that panic of like, oh my God, what am I going to eat right now? You just get to have your mind feeling a little bit clearer and a bit calmer when you can outsource all of that tricky stuff to me. So remember, it's not just about your blood sugar. It's about how you actually feel within yourself and how you then show up for all the people in your life. So anyway, that was a little bit of a spiel. Um, You can find links to book in a free call in the show notes and also on Instagram, you can get in touch. You can send me a DM or you can find the link in my bio. My handle is at nutrition.by.helena. So you can come and find me there. But yes, that is it from me today. I really hope that you loved this episode and I will be dropping the next one same time next week. And if you did love this, then I would appreciate it so much if you could leave a rating and review and share it with a friend if you think that they would enjoy this episode as well. But I'll leave you there and we'll speak soon. Bye. That is it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. And if you haven't already, please make sure that you subscribe or hit the plus button so that you can get new episodes delivered straight to your podcast app every week. And if you did find this episode useful, I would appreciate it so, so much if you could leave a rating and review or share it with a friend. It helps me reach more people so that I can help them take some of the stress out of gestational diabetes too. And if you want to keep learning about all things gestational diabetes, head to my website to find all the ways that I can support you. Thanks so much. Chat soon. Bye.